You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Go to God early in the time of suffering. Go to God often during the suffering. Keep going to God all throughout the suffering. He wants you to. He even designed the suffering to make you pray more, among other things. He designed the suffering for you so you will turn to Him more. He wants you to know, you say you already know it. Well, we don't quite know it the way you want. He wants you to know that you are weak and He is what? Strong. Have you prayed about it? This was a common question I heard growing up when I was having trouble with decisions, and yes, even when I couldn't find something. Today, Pastor Tom talks about heavier kinds of difficulties, but also tells us that God works in those hard situations. Praying helps build our faith muscles, so the next time something hits us, we're not weak. A deeper relationship with our Creator, Father, follows an active prayer life. There's hope in your plan because of Jesus. He will see you through. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he begins his message. Why should you pray more? You know, uh, younger people are supposed to learn from older people. Isn't that true? They don't always, but they're supposed to. That's how God set things up. Those who've lived a little longer in life, they're um, the ones who are supposed to have accumulated a little more wisdom so they can pass that on to the younger generation. With time comes experience. With experience comes wisdom, hopefully, accumulated from those experiences. But also with the passage of time comes regrets. And older people have more regrets than younger people because they didn't do the things that um, maybe at an earlier time in life that they thought that they would do. Regrets, though, sometimes stem from bad decisions that were made that kind of threw life on a different course than one had thought. But also, I think, from laziness, sort of falling into a rut and day after day, week after week, kind of doing the same things and not, not trying something new, not using their spiritual gifts more, not standing for the kingdom of Christ a little bit more. Sometimes regrets come from short-sightedness or complacency also. You know, I, I don't think that most older people, when they look back at their lives, they say, you know, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. I don't think most of them say that they wish that they spent more time playing games, more time chatting on the phone, more time watching TV. When you understand how quickly life goes by, how precious and valuable it is, those aren't the things that a believer who's getting ready for the kingdom of God and getting closer to that is really going to regret. I think, though, that there is one thing that believers will regret, and that is that they did not pray more. I'm going to guess that some of you regret that already. You haven't prayed as much as some of the commitments you've made, and I don't know what commitment you made this year, or maybe it was last year, maybe it was a year before, and you didn't keep to your commitments with prayer. Why not? Busyness of life, tiredness, falling into a rut, not thinking prayer is really all that important. It's probably going to be one thing, though, that you're going to regret you did not do more of. And I'm here today to save you from those regrets. I am your friend today. I'm going to help your conscience. You're going to like me because what's going to happen is you're going to hear, hopefully, the Word of God today. And you're going to resolve in your heart to do more praying. And you'll never, never be disappointed that you spent extra time in prayer. You will not feel it was a waste of time. You'll not get to some point in your life where you look back and say, I pray too much. This will be something that the wiser you are, the more you'll realize this is good that I do. 
This is something that it's just, it's universal for everyone. It's got the same application for everybody. Young, not so old and very old, same application. If you didn't pray a lot when you were younger, here's your chance to pour into prayer now because you're wiser. And um, that's what our passage is about in James 5. We're getting near the end of the letter. I told you we would get eventually to the end of the letter. We're getting close to there. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 5, James 5, 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? James asks. Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I'm not sure you noticed that uh, this uh, paragraph is about prayer. Did you notice that? Prayer is explicitly mentioned actually in every verse. And there are many New Testament letters that end their letter with some kind of an appeal to pray. Philippians chapter 4, that's the last chapter of Philippians. It says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, again, the last chapter of that letter, says, pray without ceasing. 2 Thessalonians 3 Verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us. End of the book of Revelation, last chapter in the whole Bible, concludes with a prayer. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. None, though, have quite as long and detailed an appeal at the end of their letter to pray as James does. Quite clearly, James, who, by the way, this goes maybe a year back, whenever we started, James, year and a half back. This goes back to his example. This was a man who prayed. This was not a man who dallied with prayer or had light prayer. This is a man who dedicated his life to prayer. His knees were known to be like a camel's knees, always on his knees and calloused and praying for the churches of God. He spent long, long hours in prayer. And so he's urging believers to be people characterized by prayer. And I think sometimes we are, and I think sometimes we're not. And I'll just say this, our last prayer meeting that we had, our collective prayer meeting, was not really all that well attended. Many of our leaders were not even there either. And that was kind of sad. Fortunately, that's the exception rather than the rule. I think uh, we've seen better attendance at other times. But we have four of these meetings, prayer meetings a year, four. It's 365 days in a year, and we have four, four times where we call collective, the, the church collectively to pray. And it seems very few believe that's an important thing to come out to. I hope that this series and the Word of God will maybe spur you on a little bit more, not only the importance of your personal prayers at home, but actually corporate prayer, the prayer of the church as well. Now, what I find in here are three reasons to pray more. That's a pretty simple purpose. I'm going to just be upfront. My goal here is that you'll pray more. <laughs> you know, if you don't pray more after all of this, then I didn't do my job. So, 
I want you to pray more. Whatever you're praying, I don't know, if it's five minutes a day, let's get it up to 15, okay? If it's 15, let's get it up to 30. I don't want to be legalistic about it. Just give yourself a goal and pray more. That's my goal. The first reason here to pray more is that prayer is meant to be in all of life. There is not to be any stage of life that we um, are in or any situation of life that we're in where we're not to be praying. That's the first reason. We'll cover that today. And then the second reason for more prayer is that people need your prayers. You don't sometimes realize that the way God sets things up is that he's going to work and bear fruit if you pray. The third is that prayer actually changes things. And this is where you might not believe it. And that's why you don't think it's worth doing because you don't see the things change that you wanted to see changed. And so we're going to have to work on what kind of prayers are you offering because prayer actually does change things. Elijah's given his example of that. And I want you to be convinced of that as well. But that's for a future week. Today, reason number one, prayer is meant for all of life. Would you focus again on verse 13? Is anyone among you suffering? Here's the advice. Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? And then he goes on with what should happen with prayer there. These verses encourage prayer in all circumstances. You could even say all moods of life. James uses rhetorical questions to lead us to that conclusion. There definitely are those who suffer, and there are those who are cheerful. Some of you are here today, and the way your last few weeks have been, you would characterize the suffering. Some of you are here today, and maybe you'd characterize life as more cheerful. There are all of those stations of life, and some, of course, we know are sick and are really, really sick. This is life. This is real life. In each and every situation of life, prayer is appropriate. Nay, prayer is called for. And that is true for us individually. Notice how it does get individualized here. There's a corporate aspect of prayer and an individual aspect of prayer in this passage. For it asks, is any among you, are any of you out there suffering? Now, usually when you Ask a congregation like that, any congregation, really, around the world, a bevy of hands would go up, right? A whole bunch of hands would come up and say, I'm suffering. And some people would raise their hands, and you didn't even know that they were suffering because they're suffering quietly. Are any of you cheerful? Some would say, yes, I'm cheerful. Things went really well for me. And then, of course, we can find those that are sick. Well, let's look at the suffering first. Are any of you suffering? Well, I know some of you are. And we know every congregation has those who suffer. Sometimes the suffering is obvious. They're sick and they're hurting. Sometimes it's obvious they've lost a job and they're dealing with economic problems. Sometimes it's suffering from persecution. Someone's always writing them about their faith. And of course, in places in the world and times past, believers have been thrown in jail and even worse. So there are those that suffer. And some of the suffering, though, is overlooked. Sometimes it's quiet, maybe because of pride. A person doesn't want to reveal the ways in which they're hurting, and so they hold it to themselves. Maybe because they distrust other believers, and they hold their suffering to themselves. Suffering is a word that was just used, actually, back in verse 10, if you glance at it, for what the prophets experienced, some of which, of course, was persecution. The word really, though, is a general word. It doesn't mean persecution. It means trouble. It encompasses a whole range of trials. 
Much like what James wrote about back in chapter 1 when we began the whole thing, when you encounter various trials. There are all kinds of trials. There's all kinds of trouble. What kinds? Persecution. That's suffering. Loss of property would be suffering. The loss of a relationship or someone who's passed on and gone to heaven and you feel the loneliness and the loss of someone whom you care about. Sometimes there are fears that grip people, even fear of the future. Job suffered. We talked about him last time. He suffered from sickness. He suffered from loss of family members, loss of property, everything, really. God allows that. God actually works in suffering. God allows believers to suffer. He has as part of his plan that we will suffer. You know that because you've suffered. I know that because I've suffered. Why does he do that? He does it for a variety of reasons. Mostly it has to do with our spiritual strength, right? To make us stronger. He wants to increase our dependence on him. He wants to change our character. He wants us to have endurance in the suffering and trials so that it leads to proven character. We're not going to get to proven character if we don't have trials and suffering. That was all talked about way back in chapter 1. There was a progression there. We encounter a trial we didn't ask for. We're to count it joy. Why? Because we know that as we endure through the trial, he'll mold our character. We'll come out the other end more Christ-like and loving. Back there, we were told to be joyful in trials. Here, the divine advice is pray while you suffer. What one thing, what one thing must each of us do when we suffer? What is the activity we are most to make sure we engage in? One essential activity of the sufferer. The answer is given. It is prayer. What is prayer? You know what prayer is. Everybody knows what prayer is. It's actually sometimes hard to define. Actually, it's not so hard. Here's a simple definition. Prayer is talking to God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You can talk to God about all kinds of things. The word used for prayer here is not fancy. It's the most common word for prayer in the New Testament, prosukamai. It's a broad and general word for prayer. Um, it encompasses all aspects of prayer. You can be making petitions and requests you can be beseeching God to do something on your behalf. That's prayer. You can be making confession of sin. You can be probing your heart and your conscience to make clear before God the things that you've done that have been wrong, the things that you've neglected. Is that prayer? It's talking to God. It's prayer. You can be listing the things that you're thankful for, even going through why you're thankful for them and just having a heart of gratitude. Is that prayer? Yes, it is. You can be singing praises, exalting God, and that also is part of prayer. Prayer. Here, prayer, as a verb, is in the present tense. That's significant because it shows that he's not wanting you just, you're suffering, say, one prayer, but that prayer should characterize your mindset and your activity while you're suffering. Through that time of suffering, from when it starts to when it ends, during that whole time, you are to make sure that you are turning back again and again and again to suffering. It's to be recurrent. It's to be daily, multiple times a day. Go to prayer and keep praying when you're suffering. That's the divine advice. This term for prayer that encompasses all kinds of prayer is used in the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So in suffering, you could pray that prayer as an example, and you could elaborate on it and pray that. In Matthew 26, 41, the same word is used. Jesus told those who were about to be tempted, 
the disciples, keep watching and praying. This was at night after they'd eaten a full meal. They wanted to fall asleep, remember? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak, right? So keep praying. Or same word is used in Ephesians 6.18. With all prayer, there it is, and petition, pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Many people, while they suffer, they seek out counseling for the problems that they have. There's nothing wrong with that. It's understandable people want to get counseling. They want to think correctly. But you won't find any better advice from any counselor, no matter how much they charge you, any more practical benefit for what you should be doing while you suffer than to exercise your faith and keep on praying. Does that sound simplistic to you? Oh, you have problems? Pray. The world makes fun of that. Oh, prayer is the answer for everything. Oh, you just think just going to pray. Well, those are people that have a low view of God. This advice is go to God. Go to God early in the time of suffering. Go to God often during the suffering. Keep going to God all throughout the suffering. He wants you to. He even designed the suffering to make you pray more, among other things. He designed the suffering for you so you will turn to him more. He wants you to know, you say you already know it. Well, we don't quite know it the way you want. He wants you to know that you are weak and he is what? Strong. That you are dependent and he is independent. That, that your will does not rule, his will rules. So come to him and pray. As you suffer, for whatever reason that you suffer, doesn't matter the reason why you suffer, whether everyone knows you're suffering or no one knows that you're suffering, during that time, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to have a pity party for yourself. You're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be tempted to throw in the towel. You know, no mas, no more. I'm done with life. You're going to be tempted, some of you, to engage in dark, morbid introspection that's not going to lead anywhere. You're going to kind of have that martyr complex for your own cause. Woe is me. You're going to turn sour quickly and then bitter over time. Why did God let this happen to me? I'm a nice person. What did I do that was all that bad? This is not what I planned for my life this year. Some of you may even say, I don't even enjoy my life anymore. I was expecting things to work out better, and look how they worked out. I suffered this past year with cancer. What did it do for me? It drove me right to prayer. It was automatic. It was magnetic. Boom. Suffer. Pray. Of course, I asked God why. You know, I was always asking God for more help, more strength to do more ministry, and he gave me cancer. That doesn't make any sense. How does that help me? Pancreatic cancer, I'm told, is almost always fatal. How does that help me? I'm asking for the ministry to advance, the ministry to grow, leaders to fulfill their calling. Also, the church to rise up and be what it, this region of the country needs. So I prayed even more. Of course, I prayed for wisdom and understanding. That would come with time. I prayed. My wife prayed. My children prayed. My mom prayed. You prayed. Other churches prayed. People in our health share network gave checks and prayed. 
pastor friends came and preached from this pulpit and prayed. All kinds of churches were praying. People I never met prayed. There was all kinds of praying that went on because I was suffering. That's a good thing. Everybody praying. It's a good thing. It's what God meant by it. pray more. You're not praying enough. You don't understand life. When you're younger and you, you grow up in America, everything's supposed to be just, you know, you grow up, you finish school, you get a job, and this is the stuff that's going to happen, and you get that nice car that you want, you go fancy places, and you have this expectation of the way life is going to go. And that's not the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be lived for God. And so to interrupt all of our plans, he has to put in our life suffering. And then we say, hmm, I don't like it. But then we start praying more, and we learn God. Prayer in suffering is right. It shows we are starting to understand what life is about. It shows that we know God has to be at work, that we have to invite God into the pain, invite God in where the loss is, where the sorrow is and the suffering, that we don't push God away and say, I'm done with that. He didn't help me. It's not joyful. I'm not in that cheerful state, so I'm done with this. God never abandons his own. In many ways, he reveals himself in more power and more glory and more faithfulness and more grace and more compassion and more mercy when you suffer. Because you understand when you suffer, you come to a point that you understand, I don't deserve not to suffer. And then you're humbled in mind and then you pray better. And you're a better Christian. Hagar was about to die of thirst and her son Ishmael in the wilderness. And God had her out there. And then when she was about to die and gave up, he came to her and said, there's the water. I'm the provider for you. And he saved her life and he made Ishmael the prince of many nations. Elijah was about to give up. The man of God confronted all the prophets of Baal, but now Jezebel was after his hide. He said to God after he kind of, with his tongue hanging on the ground, that's my interpretation, he said, take my life from me. He knew he wasn't supposed to kill himself because he was a believer. But he said, I'm done with life. Take, you take my life from me, God. I'm done. And God sent him an angel to cook for him. Because when you're suffering, God meets you there. And he revived that prophet. And he said, you haven't finished your journey. Keep going. And he went to Mount Sinai. And he learned he was going to be given an assistant. And he still had a lot to do. You know where Elijah ended up? In heaven. A whirlwind took him up. That's how he went to heaven. He asked to die, and God never even let him die. Prayer forces us to regain the right perspective. It brings us back to the eternal. You guys come in here sometimes, you know, you're just dragging. You know why you're dragging? Because you're dealing with life without prayer. And your perspective goes from maybe a high from Bible study or Sunday morning worship or great sermon in the car, and then it quickly leaves that, and you just kind of forget the things you learn, and then you have to deal with this person, that person, this thing, and that bill, and all this, and you come out the other side, Ugh. and some of that mundane stuff is suffering, I guess, and you lost perspective. Prayer refocuses your life on really, what really matters. What does really matter? Think about standing in heaven and looking back on your life. What matters from that perspective? Eternal things matter. It reminds us of our special status as sons of the living God. When we go before God, we say, our Father. Why don't we say our Father? Because Jesus taught us to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven. Why, how can we call the creator of the ends of the earth our Father? Because we're in relationship to him as sons through Jesus Christ. What a privilege. And then that strengthens us. 
Of course, sometimes people don't want to turn to God when they suffer. They suffer and they give God the cold shoulder. You know how it is, you know? I mean, you know how it is. Your wife doesn't, doesn't do what you want her to do, right? And what do you do? Just, just kind of just turn the shoulder a little bit, right? I won't talk to her for a while. Let that sink in. We do the same thing with God. Oh, yeah? That's how you're going to treat me? I'm not praying. I'll sit here. Yeah, I know all about prayer. I'm not doing it. We each pass through many seasons of life, some grand, some down in the dumps. Prayer is God's way to help us realize how much we need Him, that He can do it when we can't. The catch? You must pray. Pastor Tom talked about the importance of praying in the midst of our trials because it aids us in going through the muck of life. Without prayer, we would get stuck and give up. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leak, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. What's all the hype about prayer? Can it be a one-and-done deal? If this matches some of your thinking, then be sure to tune in next time with Pastor Tom as he explains that this is the exact opposite of the essence of prayer. Prayer is an ongoing, never-ending action of a believer. You and I must humbly go to God in our conversation with Him. This allows us to remember exactly who He is. Don't buy into the lie that prayer doesn't matter. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you can find it online at hopebiblechurch.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.